0: Welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at in theword.com. And now, Michelle. As we come to our final lesson in the Book of Acts, Paul was nearing the end of his journey to Rome. When he was still 43 miles from the city, a crowd of the believers who lived there came out to greet him, almost as if greeting a victorious conqueror. As they walked with him, more joined in the multitude, and Luke reports that after his terrible journey, Paul was greatly encouraged at the sight of them all. He was glad to see the familiar faces of some of his friends who were now living in Rome, but he was also happy to realize that the work of God was prospering in that city and that the church there was growing. His heart filled with courage once more as he faced his unknown future. The apostle, if you remember, immediately was placed under house arrest, but he was not deterred by the presence of his guards and soon began to minister. His first thought was to gather the leaders of the local synagogues. Acts 28 verse 17 tells us, Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain." They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Jewish people had been driven out of Rome during the rule of the Emperor Claudius but now that Nero had become Emperor they had been allowed to return and there were once more many synagogues in that city. Paul called the leaders to meet with him and because he fully expected them to have already heard something about the charges against him, Paul's first order of business was to explain why he was on trial before Caesar. He revealed that though he'd done nothing against the Jewish people or against the customs of their ancestors, he had been arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman authorities. Although they'd found him to be innocent of anything deserving death, the Jews refused to accept the Roman governor's ruling, leaving Paul with no option but to appeal to Caesar. Despite their false accusations against him, Paul assured the Jewish leaders in Rome that he held nothing against his people and that he did not plan to bring any charges against them. In stating that it was because of the hope of Israel that he was bound in chains, Paul meant to arouse their curiosity. Israel hoped for a Messiah who would lead them into freedom, and though they expected a political leader— Paul longed to share with them the good news that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that hope and that they might have spiritual freedom by accepting him as their Lord. The Jewish leaders maintained that they had not received any reports about Paul. Professing ignorance, they insisted that they'd received no communication from Judea and that no visitor to Rome had brought any news against him. This seems very unlikely to me. Paul had been imprisoned for some time in Caesarea and had also been delayed on his journey to Rome because of the shipwreck, giving plenty of time for news about him to reach those in Rome. He was, after all, an enemy of the Sanhedrin. Surely people would have been talking about him. Though these leaders likely knew far more than they were willing to let on, they clearly believed it would be more sensible to pretend they had not heard of him. They seemed eager to hear Paul's views, but we must bear in mind that they may well have been wanting to entrap him further, hoping to find some evidence against him to present to the Romans at his trial. They were certainly familiar with the Christ followers who lived in Rome and would have had an understanding of what they believed. They also let on that they understood that people everywhere were talking against the sect, which would surely have alerted Paul to the fact that they were not as innocent and unbiased as they pretended to be. Nonetheless, Paul was ready to give a reason for the hope he had in Christ, and so he invited them to hear more. Verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. There's something quite wonderful about the fact that to the very end of his ministry, wherever Paul went, he was always ready to reach out to the Jews. For decades, they had done everything they could to prevent him from sharing the gospel. They had beaten him and had even tried to kill him, and yet he continued to preach his message of salvation through Jesus Christ to the Jewish people first. I think the fact that he refused to give up on his own people is a remarkable picture of the truth that love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Paul persevered with his people because he loved them and longed for them to place their trust in Jesus as their messiah. Luke emphasizes that the Jews came to his place of lodging in great numbers and that Paul taught them the whole day trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. As we've come to expect, he spoke to the people in ways that they would have been able to understand, using familiar scriptures from the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was indeed their promised Messiah. Some were persuaded by the things that Paul shared, and yet there were still those who chose to disbelieve. In a strange way, I find that encouraging, for just as it was with Paul, so it is for us today as we share the good news about Jesus with others. Some will choose to hear our message and believe, and others will not. But like Paul, we must always be ready to give a reason for the hope we have in Christ. Those who heard Paul speak were divided in their opinions, even disagreeing among themselves. But when he shared a final scripture from the prophet Isaiah, many began to walk away. Look at verse 25. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Paul concluded his statements to them with this quotation from Isaiah, implying that even the rejection of Jesus by the Jews was something that God had foreseen. Despite all God's faithful communication in the past, the people he had called his own had not been able to discern and understand his voice. Their hearts had become hardened They were deaf to his voice and blind to his purposes. At any point, they could have turned to God and had their spiritual eyes opened, as Paul had all those years before in Damascus, but they were not willing. And so it was that the good news of salvation available in Jesus Christ had been sent to the Gentiles. And as Paul knew only too well, they had received it happily. The door which the Jews had shut had now been opened to the Gentiles. God still had much work for Paul to do among the Gentiles, even though he was under house arrest, and in his understated way, Luke concludes this book by affirming. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not idle while in Roman custody. Although he was under God, he was able to preach the good news about Jesus Christ boldly and without hindrance to all who would listen. He had been placed in the custody of the elite praetorian guard, and over the course of the two years, many of them spent long days and nights with Paul. I honestly don't think that Paul ever saw himself as their captive. Rather, I believed he looked on them as being his captives, and he never missed a chance to share Christ with them. We learn that many of these men surely left their duty with Christ in their hearts, as Paul explained when writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1.13 that it had become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that he was in chains for Christ. In fact, his ministry to these guards was so successful that at the conclusion of that same letter, he remarked that God's people in Rome sent their greetings, especially those who belonged to Caesar's household. While in Rome, Paul not only shared the gospel with those who were brought to him, he continued to watch over and encourage the churches he had planted by writing several letters to them, letters which we now know as the books of Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians. Each of the letters Paul sent out was a treasure trove of doctrine and encouragement, and these Letters still speak to us even today. His letter to the church at Ephesus reflects Paul's concern for his beloved friends in that city. Paul wanted them to understand the great doctrines of faith. For example, as he revealed in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10, to 10, that it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. This is not from ourselves, but rather it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For, he says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. A Christ follower is saved by faith alone. However, their good deeds as one who belongs to Jesus are evidence of the fact that they are indeed saved. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord, encouraged all who would eventually read the letter to live a life worthy of the calling that they had received. Paul wanted them and us to recognize that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rather it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Consequently, in Ephesians 6 verse 13, he urged the followers of Jesus Both then and now, to put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, we will be able to stand for Christ, irrespective of our circumstances. The Epistle to the Philippians is Paul's most joyful letter, and in it he encouraged the Philippian believers to rejoice in spite of their suffering and anxiety urging them to continue to look to Christ as the object of their faith and hope. Their imprisoned friend wanted them to remember that he believed what had happened to him had really served to advance the gospel, for his incarceration had allowed him to preach the good news about Jesus Christ to those who would never have heard it otherwise, and the same can be true for us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, he reminded them of Jesus, who, though he was in very nature God, had been willing to make himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Christ, Paul said, was willing to humble himself to die for us on a cross. And because of that, as those who belonged to Jesus, he encouraged all believers to trust God as he did and not to be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present their requests to God. Under the difficult circumstances of house arrest, Paul knew how important it is for one to remain focused on God and his word during times of trial. For God alone is able to give us peace and also the ability to do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Paul's letter to Colossae presents the deity of Christ as no other letter does. He wrote to the church there to combat philosophical heresy that had arisen, and his letter contains some of the most beautiful descriptions of the lordship of Christ in the whole of the New Testament. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle reveals Christ to be the image of the invisible God and declares that all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things had been created through Christ and for him, and it is in him all things hold together." In verse 21 to 22 of that same chapter, he went on to explain that though mankind had once been alienated from God and were his enemies because of their evil behavior, those who trust Christ are now reconciled to God the Father by his blood shed on the cross, and we are now holy in God's sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Because of that, Paul urged them and us to see to it that no one takes us captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Colossians also gives us some information about Paul's companions during his imprisonment in Rome. In chapter 4, it states that Luke, the beloved physician, and Aristarchus were with him. Apparently, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, whom Paul had argued with on his first missionary journey, also spent time with Paul, as did many other church leaders— Even Paul's young disciple Timothy, whom he found in Lystra, was another frequent visitor. The fourth letter Paul wrote while confined in Rome involved another individual he'd met. The very personal letter concerned a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus, who had fled from his master Philemon, whom Paul apparently knew. Onesimus ended up in Rome, where he somehow met Paul, who led him to faith in Christ. Paul soon came to love him as a son, but the apostle knew that things needed to be made right, and so he wrote to his friend and fellow laborer, Philemon, urging him to forgive Onesimus and to receive him back, not as a runaway slave, but this time as a brother in Christ. The whole theme of the book that we know today as Philemon is forgiveness, and in it we see the power of the gospel to change every human relationship and interaction by the use of God's love and forgiveness, no matter how evil the situation It touches my heart that even in his own difficult circumstances, Paul always had the heart of a pastor and he took the time to minister to individuals and to seek to reconcile brothers in the Lord. The book of Acts ends somewhat abruptly with Paul in his own rented house in Rome, freely teaching while awaiting his trial. Many wonder why Luke never told us what happened to Paul and indeed why the scriptures are silent about the deaths of all of the apostles except for James. Some think Luke may have been intending to write more about Paul but was prevented from doing so by his own martyrdom. But others think he had an entirely different purpose in ending his account as he did. Luke began the book of Acts with Jesus, commanding his followers to bear witness for him in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. He wrote about those who obeyed that command, Peter, Philip, Stephen, Barnabas, Silas and of course Paul. And then he ends the story in Rome, having seen the good news of Jesus Christ preached across the known world of that time. The church, which at the beginning of Acts had been made up of a few people hiding in an upper room in Jerusalem, could now be numbered in the tens of thousands. The story of the crucified Christ had swept across the world and was now being preached without hindrance in Rome, the greatest city on earth. So instead of keeping the focus on Paul, Luke chose to reflect the ongoing work of evangelism that was successfully being carried out, even in the heart of Rome itself, just as God had promised. Whatever the case, Paul is without doubt the main character of this book. Jesus had warned that there would be much he would suffer and Paul's own words detail all that he endured for the sake of the gospel. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul revealed that over the years he had been confined to prison many times. He had been flogged and beaten repeatedly, once he'd even been pelted with stones. In the end, he'd been shipwrecked a total of three times and had even spent a night and a day in the open sea. Paul had been constantly on the move, in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from his fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, and in danger from false believers. He'd labored and toiled in great hardship and had often gone without sleep. He'd known hunger and thirst and had been cold and naked, and like his lord before him, Paul had known what it was to be falsely accused and now imprisoned. So, what did happen to him in the end? Though we know nothing of his scheduled trial in Rome, it is believed that Paul was eventually released and that he travelled, possibly even to Spain. However, he was arrested some five years later and, according to tradition, was eventually beheaded for his faith in Christ, decapitation being the customary death for a Roman citizen. But this book has also been about the acts of the Holy Spirit. From the start, Christ's promise to his people had been that they would receive power when the Spirit came on them to make them witnesses for him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And we've certainly seen how the Holy Spirit worked most powerfully through the early believers as they sought to fulfill Christ's great commission. They faced hardships with courage and remained focused on Christ, and God had been faithful. He had never forsaken them. His purposes had prevailed and the gospel had spread. And in a sense, the book of Acts is still being written through us as we continue to serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit even today. Let us preach the kingdom of God boldly as they did, overcoming every hindrance the enemy throws in our path to fulfill our Lord's great commission, to make disciples of all nations for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for everything you have said to our hearts through this wonderful book of Acts. Thank you, Lord God, that indeed this book is still being written through us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who take your good news of Jesus to the very ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord, that we get to join you in the work that only you can do to the glory of Christ's name. It is in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.